Open your Bible, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We began, we're, we're just studying through the book of 2 Corinthians now. Matter of fact, all through this year, from January, we've studied 1 Corinthians, and now we're in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to take up today where we left off last Wednesday night. We, we, we studied in 2 Corinthians 8, chapters 1 through, verses 1 through 6, Wednesday night, and today we come to begin in chapter 7. I mean chapter 8, verse 7. Verse 7. Chapter 8, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Thank you for asking the Lord to set our souls afire, Brother Bob. That's what we need. The awfulness of coldness. Now, I like cold weather and I like the snow, but I'll tell you I don't like a cold heart or a cold Christian. I mean, I don't, it isn't that I don't love them, I just don't like them. I think there's a difference in loving and liking. I love because God put that love in there, but I like, I love to see people that are warm-hearted. And that's what the Bible is telling us here about uh, a sevenfold formula for revival. A sevenfold formula for a warm heart. A sevenfold formula as how to keep cold when it snows. Sevenfold formula as to how to love the snow and have a hot heart inside. I don't know why I keep bringing the snow in, except I liked that snow last Tuesday night. Now, we're, we live in a world that's cold. We live in a world that hates God. We live in a world where it's so easy for God's people to drift in to just complacency and being at ease in Zion. And uh, that's what had happened to the Corinthian Christians. We'll study about that today. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for all the wonderful music that has blessed and encouraged our hearts today and for the time of study in the Sunday school and for having our heart challenged by this theme set my soul afire. Lord, today do it. We pray for God's power in this service. God's fire power upon our hearts. And may the Holy Spirit do his work of conviction in somebody who has never been saved. May that one come to Jesus. And someone else who needs to come, take an open stand for our Lord. May he do it today. Oh, Lord, have your way. And I pray that you'll let me be hidden behind the cross and the people will hear beyond the voice of the preacher, the voice of our Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 7. Let me read this section, please. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the earnestness of others, 
and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And in this I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do but also to be willing a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that which a man hath, and not according to that which he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much hath had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Now would you keep in mind <clears throat> that in 2 Corinthians, Paul has had to deal with the defense of his apostleship. We've mentioned this several times in our studies of 1 and 2 Corinthians. The church that was organized in Corinth, organized by Paul on his missionary journey after at Troas, he saw a vision in the night and a man said, come over into Macedonia and help us. The next day he and his friends crossed the Aegean Sea and went to Macedonia, which was a part of Greece. And there he founded the Philippian church, the first church in, in Asia, I mean in Europe, the Philippian church. Then he went down to Athens and then to Corinth. And there in the city of Corinth he founded a great Christian movement. But as was Paul's custom, he went on to other places. And he went over to Ephesus, was preaching there and organizing the church there. And the word came that in Corinth, which was the seat of Satan worship, and the seat of all kinds of immorality and impurity and so on, that in that Corinthian fellowship, there had come false teachings and false living and all kinds of problems with the Christian movement. They were confused about their leadership. They were confused about taking each other to court. Christians taking other Christians to court. They were confused about immorality. There was a man having an affair with his own father's wife. They were confused about getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They were confused about spiritual gifts. Some were talking about speaking in tongues and healings and all of those things. They were confused about the resurrection. Some believed that there wasn't any such thing as a resurrection. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians, to deal with all those problems and he dealt with them very seriously and yet with grace. And this is often the case when a preacher has to deal with some problems. Some of them got mad at him. They didn't like it. They didn't like what he said. They didn't like the stands he took. And so following that first letter to the Corinthian Christians, some in that Corinthian church 
began to say, well, after all, Paul isn't really an apostle. He wasn't like Peter or James and John. He wasn't with the Lord all that time. And, and they denied his apostleship. And they tried to defame his name. And they were critical of him and so on. And Paul learned about this. And it broke his heart. And he wrote 2 Corinthians to deal with that part of the problem. And in much of 2 Corinthians, he deals with the defense of his own apostleship. Now, in chapter 7, Titus comes along meeting Paul in Macedonia, and he brings a good report. He says, why, the Christians in Corinth, are, they're having, their things are going better now, and they're on the brink of a revival. And uh, uh, Paul, things are a lot better. They're, they've listened to what you've said. And so when we come to chapter 8, Paul is writing these Corinthians, uh, continuing his message. But in this incident, the first part, as we mentioned Wednesday night, he is holding before the Corinthian Christians the example of the Philippians. And you remember last Sunday, Wednesday night as we talked about the Philippian Christians. He said, why, those Philippians went way beyond their ability. They, they were poor. <clears throat> they were poverty-stricken. <coughs> poverty they didn't have any money. But they collected what they had, and they came to us and insisted that we take it. And they had joy in doing it. And, and in those first six verses, he is holding before the Christians the example of the Philippian Christians, the Macedonian Christians. Then he comes in chapter 8, beginning with verse 7, he comes to a sevenfold formula for revival in Corinth. And I believe it's the same kind of revival that could come here in Bowling Green and in individual lives because these sevenfold formula deal with things that individuals can do. Collectively, they bring a revival to the church, but basically, they are something said to individual persons. So we'll look at them in the form of seven laws. Seven laws, and I wish you'd write them down. Write them in your Bible. Write them on a piece of paper. They are very, very precious. The seven laws of revival. Number one, law number one, verse seven. The law of abounding. The law of abounding. Notice, therefore, as ye abound in everything, faith, utterance, knowledge, in all diligence, in your love to us, Look what he's saying. He says, Corinthians, I've heard that you love us. And I know that you abound in all kinds of utterances and speakings and tongues and everything else. And he says, just as you abound in all of this, see that you abound in this grace also. Well, what grace is it? He's referring back to the grace that the Philippian Christians had. He's talking about all those wonderful gifts that the Philippian Christians had in their hearts as they gave gave first themselves and then their possessions. In other words, they were good stewards of the manifold grace of God. They were good stewards of their money. They were good stewards of their funds. They were just good stewards. And they hilariously gave. They gave with abounding grace. If you want to know what the word abounding means, you go out to the zoo and look at a kangaroo. What does a kangaroo do? He doesn't just walk along. He abounds, right? That's the way God wants us to do. Matter of fact, that word is from the same word. He wants us to abound. In other words, jump up and down with glee and joy. Now, it doesn't mean we have to click our heels together and, 
and, uh, you know, fall out on the floor and roll on the floor and all that kind of thing. But what he is saying is we need to be joyful in giving to God. Joyful, abounding in this grace. Paul says God wants God's people to not be stingy. Sometimes Baptists call it industrious, you know. We want to be industrious and we want to cling on to what we've got because after all, we don't know what the future is going to bring. Well, that's good. But God wants us to have an abounding heart. And if you really want to know what he's talking about, go back to see what he said to the Philippians. He said, look in verses, chapter 8, verse 2. How then in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality, for to their power I bear witness, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, beseeching us, begging us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, as we hope, not as we hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You see what he's saying? He's saying, uh, Christians, at uh, Corinth, if you want a revival, then you need to abound in the grace that the Philippians had. That is, the grace of giving. There needs to come into your heart a bigness of heart that says, I may not have much to give, but what I have, I'm going to give to God. And I'm going to take all the strings off, and I'm going to get a blessing from it. <laughs> Somebody said, if you give your tithe to the Lord and you don't want to give it and you give it in a stingy way and you sort of give it because well I guess I have to give it the question is does God use it and does God bless it well first of all the answer is simple God will use it but you won't get any blessing out of it at all not any at all there won't be any blessing to it and Paul is saying, I want you to have a blessing. And so I want to encourage you to give with an open heart, with abundance, more than you're able to give. Just give, give, give. Give and it shall be given to you, Jesus said. And beloved, you cannot outgive God. God will be no man's debtor. There's no way that any human being could ever give more than God gave. Or God will give. And so Paul is saying the first tenet in revival at Corinth, number law number one, the law of abounding. Ask God to give you abounding grace. This grace of giving. This gift in your heart of giving to God without reserve. Now that doesn't mean just your money. That means giving him your intellect, giving him your skill. You know how to work with wood? Do it as unto the Lord. You got a brilliant mind? Not everybody has the same degree of brilliance of mind, but if you got a brilliant mind, give that brilliance to the Lord. That's the thing R.G. Laterno gave to God, and God blessed it. He wasn't brilliant in everything, but he was brilliant in designs. And he designed things, earth-moving equipment, and God began to lay it on the hearts of people and they bought those things. Don't make me say your name, honey. Don't you talk in church. Thank you. Because I know your name, I'll call it. Don't do that. God bless you, honey. I love you. Don't do that. All right. Now, God 
wants us to abound in the grace of giving anything we have to give to him. Whatever it is. Whatever ability we have. If you've got an ability to drive, why don't you drive one of the buses? You've got ability to be a to communicate, why don't you teach a class? Learn how to teach, get yourself committed to Jesus, and teach a Sunday school class. Whatever ability you have, abound in that gift to Jesus. Now the second law for revival, the second law for revival is in verse 8. But I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the earnestness of others to prove the sincerity of your love, the law of sincerity. The law of sincerity. God wants us to be sincere in what we do. The law of sincerity. Now, here Paul is saying, it's almost as if he's saying, put your actions where your words are. Walk your talk. You say, I love the Lord? Prove it by the sincerity of your life actions, your lifestyle. Now, if there's to be a revival in individual hearts, if this choir is to have a revival, you get up here and sing, take my life and let me, I don't know what the song said, all that commitment song we sang a while ago. If you're going to be, have revival in the choir, you need to be there to rehearsals. And when we, on Wednesday nights, when we dismiss, you don't need to go out and get a drink of water and wander all over where and talk to people and do this and that and the other. Go in there and rehearse and get ready for the Lord's Day. Amen? See, if you're going to do that, and I don't hear any amens, but that's true. Be there to rehearse. Be at it. Be at it. If there's going to, in other words, walk your talk, be sincere in what you do. If you say, Lord, I love you. My Jesus, I love thee. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. Then resign some of the follies of sin. It's that simple. Prove the sincerity of your love by your lifestyle. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian Christians. Prove it. Don't just talk it. Prove it. Demonstrate it. Somebody said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. <laughs> But lots of people don't like to hear sermons. But everybody likes to see one in action. And do you know when we close the doors here about 12 o'clock or 12.30 or 1.30 or whenever we get out of church. And we go out into the highways and byways and we go wherever we go today. This is the church dispersed in this city. And people are then going to see what the real church is. They can come by here on Sunday and see cars jammed and packed in the parking lots out there. And they can come in here and, and hear our songs and, and uh, hear the messages and, and so on. But what, they will, what will really influence Bowling Green, Kentucky is when we go back to Western, back to the factories, back to the jobs, back to the schools, wherever we go. And there we prove by our lifestyle the sincerity of our profession. That's revival. That's what will bring revival. And that's what he's saying to these Corinthian Christians. Thirdly, the law of action. Look in verse 11. Now therefore perform the doing of it, 
that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. The law of action. James put it another way. He says in James chapter 1 verse 22, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and immediately forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth in it, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Be a doer, a doer of the work. Not a hearer only. Now it's important that we come together and hear the word. But it's important that we do. See, God is not putting one above the other. He says we need to do both. It would be foolish to say, well, I'm going to do what the Bible says, but I'm never going to read it. I'm never going to listen to it. I'm never going to hear it, but I'm going to do it. That's impossible. You have to hear it first. But what he's saying is, don't just hear it, do it. Don't just listen, practice it. Don't just receive it, give it. If there's to be revival. Sunday school teachers, I thank God intends for Sunday school teachers to come to a workers meeting. There we study the word together. And we study what we're going to do. And we chart our course. And we plan our actions. That's very, very important. But how foolish for us to come together and do that and then never get around to doing it. Never get out there in the field and do it. We need to do both. Hear and give. Receive and give. Hear and do. Be doers of the word. Many people go to church on Sunday. And I respect people that come to church on Sunday. Sometimes folks say, well, there are various reasons people come. They come for this and this and the reason. I believe most people come to church because their hearts are hungry. You think of the thousands of people that don't come. You think of the thousands of people that don't ever come to church or seldom come. I think you're here today because your heart is hungry, because you love the Lord, or you're seeking the Lord, or there's something moving in your soul that says, I need God. But oh, my friend, this scripture is saying if you want real revival, don't just hear the word, practice it. That's what John the Baptist said down at the jungle of Jordan. He said, who hath warned you to Flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth fruit. Meet for repentance. If you're going to be baptized, go and demonstrate the sincerity of your heart. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian Christians. And that's what brings revival to Glendale Baptist Church and Bowling Green, Kentucky. The law of action. Do. Don't just hear. And then... The fourth law, verse 12, the law of surrender. Look at that. For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that which a man hath, and not according to that which he hath not. For I mean that the other men, I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. In other words, God looks on the will. God looks on the will, the human will. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he knelt before God all by himself on that great stone and he cried out not my will but thine be done I think the devil was trying to kill him 
in Gethsemane. And he yielded himself to God even more. And he sweat as it were great drops of blood. And in that moment, Calvary was settled because all there was of the Lord was totally put on the altar before God. That blows one's mind when he thinks of Jesus there saying, not my will but thine be done. And beloved, if Jesus said it, how much more do we need to say it? A will, a yielding of the will. I believe in this room this morning, if there would be some young men and young women who would yield to the will of God, you have heard God deal with your heart. You've heard God speak to you. And you would say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Send me wherever you want to send me to the uttermost parts of the world. I'll go. Or I'll go to the pulpit. Or I'll go to the music room and become a music director for the Lord. Or I'll do something in the name of Jesus for his glory. A yielding of the will to the Lord. There's going to be revival. There has to be that yielding of the will to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look in verse 14, the law of equality. In verse 14, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered, that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. God wants there to be an equality in our actions and our giving. Let me ask you something. Not many of us have said, Lord, I'm, I'll go and leave all the homeland and all the things I'm familiar with in the United States and I'll go to the Congo or I'll go to Israel or I'll go to Japan or I'll go to Taiwan and I'll there bury my life unseen by others unapplauded by others I'll bury my life there serving you I think of James Nelson who is serving the Lord in an obscure place in Mexico I just happened to meet him he was one of our interpreters a number of years ago when we served there. That man is sharp. Any of you who've been there know him. He's from over in the Midwest, Oklahoma or somewhere over there. Why that man could grace any pulpit in this nation. He's a powerful preacher. But he's buried himself in that little obscure place. And he gets on the radio when the government will let him and he blasts out the gospel to all that area of Veracruz. I want to tell you, I don't think that James Nelson ought to be more committed to Jesus there than I am in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And my dear friend, we cannot pay and hire missionaries to go to some distant land to do the work that we're supposed to do. Certainly all of us can't go to all every nation in the world and we need to send missionaries. But we cannot expect more commitment and dedication on the part of the missionaries there than we have right here in this city. Just can't do it. God wants equality in love, in service, in giving. God wants that. 
not equality in abilities. It's not true that all men are created equal. We're created with the abilities, with, with certain inalienable rights, but, but everybody doesn't have the same IQ. Everybody doesn't have the same kind of winsome personality. Everybody doesn't have the same handsome or beautiful uh, looks to look upon. Everybody isn't glamorous. Everybody isn't uh, strong, tall, dark, and handsome and all that kind of thing. But I want to tell you, every one of us can be equal in his commitment to Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about. That's what he wants. And I appeal to you, if there's to be revival, there must be commitment. One group can't get over there and say, well, let somebody else do it. Let George do it. There's a need in the church. Well, let somebody else do it. There's a need for this financial uh, offering. Well, you know I can't give anything. Let somebody else, let all those rich people do it. What rich people? My beloved friend, God wants equality. Not equality of gifts, but equality of sacrifice. We may not all be able to give $20 or $2,000. Every one of us can sacrifice proportionately. God wants that. If there's to be revival, God wants equality of commitment. And verse 16, I'll hasten by quickly. Thanks be to God who put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you, the law of concern. If there's to be revival, there has to be the law of concern. Care, care. Weep o'er the erring ones. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus the mighty to say, God wants us to minister to the saints and go to the souls that are lost and tell them of victory in Jesus. Every one of us if there's to be revival, there has to be the law of concern. I was in a revival meeting in Owensboro, in, no, in uh, Lewisport, Kentucky, a number of years ago, in Lewisport. And we, in the middle of the week, one of the men came to the pastor and me, and he said, uh, well, there's a man up here that lives up in the woods that I'm concerned about. I want to see him saved. Would you go visit him? We took the name and went up there to visit him. His name was Bernie. And we went in and talked to Bernie about his soul. Bernie was as hard as a rock. He just let us talk and he didn't answer a word. And finally he said, were you through? And I said, well, we, we wanted, we're telling you about Jesus. He said, are you through? You can leave now. That was his hard heart. So we left. And the man over church said, did you go see Bernie? Yeah, we went to see him. He wasn't seem, didn't seem very interested. On the closing Sunday of that revival, that, that man that was so concerned came down the aisle and he said, oh, please, I don't want the revival. God had blessed. There had been a number of people saved. He said, I don't want this meeting to close without Bernie again having a chance. Would you go back this afternoon? And I, I felt impressed to say, We'll go if you'll go with us. Well, the man said, I'll go with you. We went out there that afternoon. Again, the pastor and I explained to that man as much as we knew how, how to be saved. And the man was hard-hearted, wasn't interested at all. He said, are you through? <laughs> and we stood up to leave. And, and that man 
in the church that was so concerned. His name was Roberts, I think. He put his hand up on the shoulder of that big old man, Bernie, and he started crying. Oh, he said, Bernie, I've lived near you for 20 years, and I've never told you that I care about your soul. I don't want to see you lost. Tears ran down his cheeks. And you know what happened? That old hard heart of Bernie broke and tears came down his face and we got on our knees and had a revival and Bernie got saved and he came to church that night and confessed Jesus as his Savior. Why? Because that man cared. He cared enough to go with compassion, the law of caring. If there's going to be a revival, there has to be caring, the law of concern, the law of love, the law of compassion. Oh, may God put that upon our souls. And last of all, look back at verse 9, the law of looking, the law of looking. Remember Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Who are you looking at? Who do you look at? Oh, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. I have to keep my eyes on Jesus. If there's going to be revival, if we're going to stay in love with our Lord, if we're going to live what God wants us to live, if there's going to be spiritual power, then we have to look to Jesus, looking unto Him, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the only one who will not disappoint us. <clears throat> there's no disappointment in Jesus. He's all that He said He would be. You look at men, they'll disappoint you. You look at preachers, they'll disappoint you. You look at deacons, they'll disappoint you. You look at Sunday school people, they'll disappoint you. You look at the people that go to church and you'll find some flaws. And you'll begin to get disillusioned and so on. I want to com commend to you this important law. Look to Jesus. You want revival in your bones. You want revival in your heart. We want revival in this city. We want revival in our church. We want to be what God wants us to be. Look to Jesus. Keep looking up always. What do we look at at Jesus? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Our dear Lord Jesus went to the cross stripped naked in front of a whole world they walked by and hissed at him and wagged their heads at him and said, if you're really the Christ, come down and save yourself. They gambled for his garments. They made fun of him. They said every kind of ugly thing that could ever be said about our Lord. And he stood there on the cross, hung there on the cross, and he looked into the face of God the Father and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he died. I want to tell you, that was God. He came. He was, God, he was in the world. The world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. He died. Three days later, he arose from the grave. And Jesus is a triumphant, living Savior. And if we'll look to him, the living Savior, not someone hanging on a cross, not a dead Jew buried in a tomb in Jerusalem, but a living Lord, the Savior, the coming King. Look to Him. Remember the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be made rich. And when you look to Him, there's no disappointment. When you look to Him, you'll want to follow Him, baptism.
When you look to Him, you'll want to love Him. When you look to Him, you'll want to love others. When you look to Him, you'll want to give of your substance. When you look to Him, you'll want to give of your sons and your daughters to tell the glorious story. When you look to Him, you'll want to be faithful in studying His Word. When you look to Him, you're not going to get disillusioned and quit and pout and say, well, somebody stepped on my toes or somebody hurt my feelings. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And there's perpetual, continual, perennial revival in your soul. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With our hearts humbled in God's presence for a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus is all that he said he would be. There's no disappointment in him. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that someone within the sound of our voice right now would have the courage and the strength and the grace to come out from the crowd and identify himself as one of God's people. Somebody who has never been saved would come to Jesus. And somebody who's been saved and living over in the shadows would come out open for God today. We pray in Jesus' name for revival. Amen. Will you stand, please? I want to ask that please no one leave while we sing this hymn of appeal and invitation. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. There's some here in this room today who need to come and take a stand for the Lord. <coughs> need to come and say, God, I want to give you my heart. I don't want to be lost. I want to be saved. There's some who need to come and say, well, I have given my heart to Jesus, and I need to follow the Lord in baptism. And I want to do it now. I want to do it today. I don't want to put it off, or I want to do it as soon as we can. There's some who need to come and say, I need a personal revival in my own heart. I want to practice those seven laws that we studied today. God bless you. Will you come and take that stand for our Lord? God help you to do it.